Jeff Staple. What up? How you doing? I am so excited. Thanks for coming to our Dubai pigeon coop. That's right. My my detective wall here. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's surreal actually. I'm uh, because I'm wearing one of your shoes right now. Yeah, yeah, that one over there. It's actually one of the first uh, sneakers that I actually really fell in love with. Thank you. Uh, I was I was just surfing online and I saw that concepts I think or not sure which uh, retailer was about to drop them. Yeah. And I was like I have to have those. Yeah. Thank you. So they launched them here at Level and uh, I was like the first one to flock there and sort of like get it and I. I was so super excited to have them. So I'm so super stoked to have you here today. Thank you very much. So this is really Thank cool. Thank you so much. Um, well, first of all, I want to ask you, how does it feel to be in Seoul DXV in Dubai, in this beautiful festival here? How do you feel? It's so dope. It's super dope. Um, I mean, Seoul is amazing. Uh, Dubai, I think, is um, honestly like a city that probably has like a strange reputation globally, like as this sort of just like you hear about the seven star hotels and the gold everywhere, you know, but there's so much more culture here that's to be had. Um, and the thing that most impressed me was like, I did a lot of people watching while I was out here outside of Seoul. And it's just like the, it's like a melting pot of like different cultures. And you know, people call New York and America melting pot, but this is like a melting pot of completely different ingredients, you know? Yeah. like people and cultures that you don't really see in the Western Hemisphere and they're all here vibing and it's like the peace is amazing, the style is amazing, the food's amazing. Um, so I'm really, really most impressed with that. Um, that's, that sounds really cool. I mean, yeah. have you been, how long have you been here? I've been here for four days. Four days, okay. Yeah. okay. Is this yeah. your first time or have you been no, here? No, I've been here, last time I came here was seven years ago. Oh, wow. Um, but I came here a couple of different times after that. It's changed a little bit, I would say. Just uh, Oh, big time, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure, yeah. So, tell us a little bit about the, uh, you know, what you're doing here, the, yeah. the sneaker you're about to launch here, and uh, yeah, I mean, um, you what's know, the story of that? Uh, we made a decision a couple months ago to come out here. Um, Raj, who I met in New York, who's one of the uh, co-founders and uh, co-owners of Seoul, asked me to do a couple talks if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, so I did, a, I did a bunch of things. I, I wrote an article in the magazine, the newest issue of Seoul DXB magazine, nice. uh, which is really great. I encourage you guys to check that out. I did a, I did a solo keynote talk yesterday. Yeah. Today I did a one-to-one -one live with Hiroshi Fujiwara from Japan. Yeah. Um, we brought our booth out here. Um, and I think what we did was really dope. This is our first soul, so we didn't know exactly what to expect. Right. Right. And I think it was cool what we did. We basically brought like a mobile printing station. Yeah. And so kids could basically make their own custom one-off staple shirt. And we upped the ante on that by um, making each shirt that you buy a raffle ticket. And that raffle allows you the chance to win one of these Nike Black Pigeon Dunks that we dropped a couple weeks ago that right. blew out globally. We saved 20 pairs for Soul DXB. So I think all in all, we, we did a really fun, interactive execution out here. Well, I want to take it back to the original uh, Dunk Pigeons that okay. you released. And there was, I see you have the uh, New York Post uh, the, you know, the, the story the after, cover, yeah, yeah. Riot. and that looks really. I mean, tell us how did that feel when that sort of like dropped and there was this much commotion around it and like scared out of my life, man. Like it was like really scared. I mean, you see that image, yeah, and you could see me dead center in there, <laughs> my back anyway. Um, and it was like a situation where I just felt really endangered for my life and the safety of my staff. You know what I mean? So my number one thing was like get out of here alive and wow. make sure that all my staff doesn't get hurt either. And obviously then all of the customers that are there trying to get a shoe and the NYPD was there. And when you have NYPD, you know, the New York Police Department and a bunch of like 
hungry, angry young people, like it's like a firework spark that's just waiting to go off. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. So you're just trying to keep the peace, and that's all I was concerned about. Um, and to be honest, the next day when I saw the newspaper come out, a part of me was like a little embarrassed, you know? Really? Yeah, a little bit. Wow. It was like half embarrassment and half accomplishment because you sort of, you st it's half embarrassment because if, if in, in, a, in any other situation, if they were like, you were responsible for this riot, you would feel fucking bad, right? <laughs> but it's like, you were responsible for this riot, but it's because you made such a great product that everyone wanted. That's like the accomplishing part. So it was like 50-50 duality I was facing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you feel like this uh, sort of hype uh, yeah. around sneakers, you, you feel that's like very important to the game and that keeps it exciting, keeps it alive, keeps it like... Yeah, but you have to understand like when that came out, even like after the first week or the first month and then the first year, no one had anticipation of how much that shoe would mean to the culture, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like if you think about if you think about like Michael Jackson's Thriller album or something like that like the week that comes out no one's like yo this is a classic like 50 years from now we're gonna be listening to Thriller you know right, what I mean yeah. like but like it takes time for like um, that label to be put onto a thing yeah. you know what I mean um, it takes it takes the people's uh, it takes the people's reception of it and their appreciation for it over and over again for them to be like this is now considered a classic and then or this is now considered a, a quote unquote grail you know what I mean yeah. so it's been 13 years since the Pigeon Dunk originally came out and it's just great to see that it has lasted that test of time and so now looking at it you know 13 years later I'm very proud of it but I can honestly say that one to two years or three years later I was like yeah we did a shoe and a lot of people will pay a lot of money for it but that phenomenon might end any time, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it must be feel really crazy to be on that sort of that end where you're the person sort of like innovating and you're the person sort of like putting out that sneaker, whereas we are the people who are buying it. Yeah. So it's almost we're the ones who are excited for it. It's, it's just really, it's such, it's so different. You're in a different side of that, that game. Yeah. Uh, which must I, feel really crazy. I mean, it's a little crazy. And, and I often think about how I miss being on the other side of the game. Right. You know, like, I used, to, I used to be a sneakerhead. You know, right. I used to buy a lot of sneakers, and I'd go into a store, and I'd be enamored when I see, like, yo, that's so dope, I gotta get that. Yeah. But now I go into a sneaker store, and I'm like, I look at, like, how it's made, and I'm like, okay, I get it, this costs $12.50 to make, they're charging $180 for it. I can see the marketing campaign, they hired that photographer, they got that social media influencer, really? like, I get it. They paid that person $12,500, that photographer got $30,000. He didn't sell the rights for the usage for the billboard. He got to get paid for that. Like I see all of that now, right? And it just robs it of the of the love. You know Interesting. What I mean? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So where did that sort of like love come from? What was your first sort of inspiration? Like um, I got to get into this. I need to sort of make. I've been a. I would say I've been a sneakerhead since I was in the sixth grade. Okay. And it it came from sport. You know, like I was a fan of basketball. I was a fan of tennis, and. Um, you know, when you see what Michael Jordan and Bo Jackson and Andre Agassi were doing on the courts, yeah. you're like, how can I get even 1% of what it is that they're doing? And you look at the moves that they do and you're like, all right, I'm never going to do that shit. But then you look down and you're like, but I can get what's on his feet. <laughs> and if I could just get that, I could be like one inch closer to them. You know right, what I mean? yeah. So it's almost like, um, like if you see like a god 
and like a god is wearing like armor or like has a sword or something. You just want one element of that, you know? Right. What I mean? And so that was the introduction of sneakers to my life. Like That's I wanted to be Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, Andre Agassi, and so I I bought those things um, just to get close. You know, it's a very interesting um, path though to go from sport. To sort of like fashion design, yeah, it's a very interesting path, though. That is a natural occurrence that happened because, because I wasn't an athlete, I obviously had other interests, right? So I was into fashion, I was into hip hop, I was right. into music, and so I buy a sports shoe, let's say an Air Jordan One, which is made for sports. I buy that shoe, and then I start incorporating the way I wear my jeans or the way I wear my button down, and I match, I match a baseball hat, but I don't wear it. I wear it like off my head. Yeah. So now all of a sudden I'm remixing this whole look, right? And so that's where sports athletic culture started to turn into lifestyle culture. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you know you fast forward a little bit more, and I think what happens is like the brands start seeing like, yo, I love the way that guy put this basketball shoe together with his whole outfit. Like we should start making stuff for that guy. Yeah. You know. In addition to Michael Jordan, we should start making it for this other guy too, and so that's really where, from a sneaker brand standpoint, like the lifestyle divisions of a sneaker brand started to be born. Do you feel that you know the sneaker game moved from sports and now it's definitely like a fashion culture? Yeah, um, and it's, you no longer have to be into sports sort of to be into sneakers. Um, and now that sort of that movement started sort of becoming really big. And when did you think that actually started becoming huge? And who do you think spearheaded that? It started becoming huge, um, probably in the 2000s. Um, and the cool thing about it is that who spearheaded it was like all the kids. Right. That's how it was spearheaded. It wasn't like there was no social media influencer back then. There was no iconic like Kanye West or something like that. You right. Know? It was like just the dopest, flyest kid in high school. Right, and he would rock his gear in a certain way. He'd go to Foot Locker, right? You know what Foot Locker is? Yeah, right? of course. So he'd go to like a, his mall store, and he'd be like, "Yo, why don't you make these in all olive green?" You know, and the store owner would be like, "Obviously, he can't do anything." But when he goes to meet with Nike or Adidas, they're like, "Hey, how's stuff selling?" He's like, "Well, let me tell you something. The coolest kid in high school came in and he said you should make these in olive green." Yeah. And the and the brand's like, hmm, maybe we should. We should try that. You know, so. Next season comes around. Hey, remember you asked for olive green? We made you an olive green. Wow! Give it to that. You know, hook one up with that kid with the yeah. with the cool. And that's really how it. You multiply that by every high school in America, and every college, and every nightclub promoter, and, and then every DJ, and that's how the culture started to shift. And do you feel like the introduction of uh, people like, you know, yourself, um, Kanye West, and all these individuals are getting into this game and sort of creating sneakers? Um, do you think that sort of like built a whole new industry that didn't really exist before like five, ten years ago. Yeah, I mean it's a now the division, the lifestyle division of of sneaker brands are bigger than the performance divisions yeah. by far. Which um, I personally think that's a mistake. You okay. know, but uh, it is the reality of, of what's happened and I have to admit that people like me and Hiroshi and Kanye are part of that problem. I wouldn't. I don't want to say we're part of the problem. So interesting. We we birth the lifestyle, like you know. Yeah. And the sneaker companies saw it, and then they just, as with any corporation, once they see something start to hit, they invest heavy in them and make it hit more, right? They start to spin it. 
but the lifestyle for a sneaker sports brand should never be the biggest division of a brand, I feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like that's when a brand really needs to start to reset itself, you know? Who is your sort of like, I'm looking at the wall here, yeah. and who is your favorite collaboration uh, that you've worked on? Yeah. Uh, and which brand do you enjoy working with the most? I don't know if you're allowed to answer such questions, but yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, how many times do I get to sit with you? So, so Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's always pluses and minuses with different brands. Yeah. And actually, it goes project by project. Right. You know, some, you, like, you see, I, done, I did like five projects with Puma, you know, and I right. did like 15 projects with Timberland or something like that, you know, so each one is going to be a little bit different. Um, so it's hard to answer that question. I mean, I will say that like Puma is very, very good to work with. Okay. And I think it's because they're like not number one or number two. Uh-huh. And so they, they that, that puts you in a position to do a couple of things, right? It makes you hustle harder, okay? And you start listening to people more, right? When you're number one or number two, you think you're the shit, right. which you are, and then you feel like you sort of sit back and there's like a lot of politics involved and there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot more people, a lot more structure, and you kind of feel like you need me more than I need you type of mentality, right? Uh-huh. Whereas Puma is very like receptive to ideas. So I will say I do honestly love working with Puma. Every, every project we've done has been pretty awesome. And I think like in any collaboration, a good one is, is where it's a win-win. Right. Like the collaborator wins and the brand wins. And I think in the Puma collabs that we've done, it's been a really good example of that. You know, like you, you were talking about the Pumas that you love. The, the Blaze, of, these Blaze yep. of Glory Pumas are like really highly coveted. And so for the brand, it's a win, right? They have this amazing product that like, kids love and they like really covet and for me it's a win because I get to make this amazing shoe that I wouldn't be able to make on my own so that's like where it's just a nice win you know and why why the shades of pink um, or the shades of red or these yeah. type of colors that you you want to go for it's I love pigeon. those colors it's uh, a pigeon that's ah, what, it's a pigeon oh, okay. like our logo's a pigeon right and so a pigeon's feet are always pink uh-huh. and they always have black gray and white as the upper and, and sometimes pigeons are like really black and dark uh-huh. and sometimes they're really white so if you look at the new balance there that's right. like a that's like a white dove pigeon you know and this is like a standard pigeon and then this is like a black pigeon you yeah. know so like they're just all variations of our logo um, and you know sometimes I don't you'll notice I don't always put pigeons on stuff and that's when right. I don't it's because these don't look like pigeons. Right. So I don't put the pigeon on it, right? So it's yeah. pretty simple. <laughs> That's super interesting. Yeah. Who is your sort of influence when it comes to like design? And is there somebody in particular that you look up, up to and say like, okay, right, this is the guy that really, or this is the girl that really inspires me? Or From a designer standpoint? I mean, I, I, who's your muse, I guess? Like we all have somebody that we sort of like is, are inspired by or push, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that sort of thing. I guess it's at the stage of my life that I'm in right now, but I think that the people who inspire me now are like business people for some reason. Okay. Yeah, like I think I've gotten past the stage of my life where I'm like just a creator. Okay. You know, like if you're when you're in like creation mode and you're like a painter or when you're like a sculptor and your hands are making something, which is by the way like a beautiful phase. In, in being an artist, then your your muse is like someone who's also creating, right? Right. But now I'm at the stage where Staple is a global brand. 
and we operate in all different countries and we do many different projects. And in order to be a global brand, you have to be able to delegate and operate more as a businessman. Right. And so I'm in the phase of my career now where like, I look up to like, you know, uh, Jack Dorsey, who is the chairman of both um, Twitter and Square. Yeah. Which is like, how do you run Twitter and Square at the same time? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk, you know, which uh-huh. is like, how do you run, you know, Tesla and SpaceX and Hyperloop, you know, all at the same time? That's you know? super interesting. Yeah. yeah. So like to me, it's and it's not because I'm I'm infatuated with like the amount of money they have or anything like that. To me, it's really like. How do you manage to delegate and manage all of these different things at the same time? You know, because I have a clothing line, I have a design studio, I have a retail store, and then there's Jeff Staple, the brand. I do talks and all that stuff. So like, trying to manage all these things is sometimes challenging. But then I look at Jack Dorsey. I'm like, dude runs Twitter and Square. Like, if he if he could do that, I could fucking do this. Right. You know? So right. like, it kind of inspires me to get get my ass up and like really hustle even harder and they're both listed on the New York Stock Exchange and exactly. you know it's a yeah he's really hustling I mean he's yeah. really and do you have any plans to sort of like open maybe retail shops in Dubai or I'd love to I'd love to I think a couple of things that I have to make sure of before I open a retail store in the country is that the, the community here can support it right right so like it's easy enough to open a store right, right? boom get the rent open the store put shit in there fine the tough part is making sure that the community comes out and supports, and not only when you drop a pigeon dump. Right. That's easy too. Put make yeah. a pigeon dump, put it in. Yeah, lines around the block. It's the other 364 days a year. That's right. You yeah. know what I mean? So, is there a community here to support that? Um, and then, and then with that, like, does the does the bandwidth exist for me to be able to like cultivate it? You know, right. like so, if there is a community here. Will I be able to come by enough? Will I be able to hire somebody that I trust to run it for me? You know, uh-huh. because you also don't want to walk into a space that you yourself as the founder are not proud of, right? Because that isn't managed correctly. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm trying to to be weary of that before I make the full decision. You know, of whether we come to the south, the, the Middle East. Do you feel so? You were talking about something really interesting, which is uh, there's uh, one or two sneakers. Uh, that drop and then there's a 360 days of the year yeah. where you have to like sustain but do you think those two or three sneakers are hype sneakers that drop and you have this reseller market that sort of fuels the underbelly of the sneaker game yeah how healthy do you think that is for the industry in general to have those hype drops to have those resellers who put up the price of sneakers when you want to you know resell them or they buy them really quickly and it's a it's a I just had this talk with Hiroshi actually about talking about reselling. It's healthy for the overall culture because it, it elevates the the product that's coming out to be more like artworks. Right. right? Yeah. There's not too many things that have resale value in this world. It's like artwork, some watches, right, and a couple of cars, you know. Right. And now sneakers. So it's in a very rare air of like covetable items, you know. So that in, in that way reselling is a benefit to the culture. But if you look at reselling, and if you look at someone like me and Hiroshi who designs these shoes, and then you look at Nike who makes these shoes, right? Like this shoe costs $100 to sell, you know, $50 to make, whatever. And, but the resell on it is 300. So there's 200 extra dollars that doesn't go to the designers and it doesn't go to the person who made it. Right. It just goes to this guy who got it and just did this, right? right yeah. So that guy, arguably did the least amount of work but got the most amount of money. So that part is not really fair, but 
it's okay to me. Like every, it, there's a lot of things. There's there's a lot more things that are more unfair in this world. Right. Um, and if that guy figured out the economy of scale to be able to get that kind of money, then more power to him. I guess um, standing in a queue for uh, for two to three nights. Yeah. You know. But sometimes they don't even stand in the queue. They pay a homeless person to stand in the right. queue. So like, it's but it's all that's just the hustle. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's all supply and demand and like expense and income. You know. I feel it is. It, I mean, it, it's, as a consumer, it's annoying. You yeah. know, because you, you want to buy these coveted sneakers, but then you can't because there's bots out there and yeah. there's uh, like you said, paying homeless people to stand in line or whatever. Right. And uh, it just feels like unfair to me. Yeah. But in some way, it feels like it keeps the sneaker game very exciting. Right. You know. So uh, so when something does drop you want to make sure that you're the first to be in line you're the first to covet you're first to buy you're the yeah. first to tell and brag to all your friends that oh, shit, I got my you know my pigeon I got my Yeezys I got my whatever so right. you know so I, I feel like it, it has, adds energy it has that yeah that yeah. sort of thing and it keeps that whole thing exciting right. you know what I mean um, well look I really appreciate your time thank you man. I know that you have uh, you know you got a lot to do here yeah. and, uh, and we only have a limited amount of time with you uh, but I really truly appreciate you. You took the time to sit with Thank me you. today. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks and a lot, uh, I, I look forward to, to coming back. Yeah, I hope yeah. to see you in Dubai again. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Peace.